85. 85. Welcome back to the 85 South Show. It is your man Carlos Miller. I'm in the studio today, and I have a real treat for you guys. I had to call everybody that I know, and then call my auntie, sister, the girl she used to work with, who called her brother, who had to call this nigga manager and got voicemail. In the studio today with my man, Donnell Rollins. And you already know it's going down on the 85 South Show. Donnell, I heard you recently changed your name. You are no longer Ashley Larry. Yeah, I mean, after 10 years of being, um, after 10 years of being Ashley, I decided that it was time to step my game up. Um, I'm the artist formerly known as Ashley Larry, and um, I have a little bit of arrogance with that title. It's Ashford Lawrence now. Ashford Lawrence. Yeah, he has, he has a different laugh, too. Ashley Larry uh, laughed ghetto like, ha ha! Ashford Lawrence laughs like, <laughs> It's a new thing. So, so you're upgraded the whole style. I've upgraded, and the lotion that I use now, I, I used to use, a, my favorite lotion was like Vaseline, but now I have imported lotion from France. That's um, how I know you from the hood. You yeah. said your favorite lotion was Vaseline. Vaseline, Vaseline ain't lotion. Only black people use Vaseline Man, as Vaseline's lotion. Vaseline's the cure to everything. You run out of uh, motor oil, Vaseline. Vaseline. You got some bolts or some nuts or something you need to loosen up. Vaseline. Vaseline is the key to everything. Vaseline, if you do a mixture of Vaseline and Crisco, you win it. Burn yourself in the kitchen. What you use? You can, if you put Crisco. <laughs> Crisco, Vaseline, and butter. That's all you need. Man, it's so good to see you, my nigga. Thanks for having me, bro. Damn, th shit, thank you for doing this. It's all good. And I thank you for, they called me every 15 minutes. Man, that's Brothers what. Brothers don't play. They hell did, no. They did the confirm, they co confirmed last night. Confirmed on camera. We're My nigga was calling, leaving voicemails yeah. like he like he got a number from a chick. Hey, shit. Hey, hey. You know they nervous if you're going to show up like, could you just give us a text when you're on your way out? <laughs> give us a text when you're on 85. Give us a text when you're outside the building. But I'm here. I told him my word was my bond, so I'm that's here. That's what's and up, I'm excited man. to be. Man, that's what's up, dog. Before we even get into this shit, man, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm in this business. You in the bit? I mean, you been in this how far back? This how long I've been a fan, man. People might not. This is my Donnell Rollins. This one you made me a fan. When you let Fat Tyrone ride your bike? That's history, son. That was like maybe like 19 years ago. Man, I'm, that's how long I've been down. That was that's a true story too. The funny thing about it, when I first started off, um, I had like two jokes. I had this joke about working in Safeway where people used to come in and steal, and I used to catch them. Yeah. And I had Fat Tyrone. The first time I did the Fat Tyrone joke, only it was only a premise, and I started off. I was like, you ever you remember when? Uh, you had your first bike, and the last thing your mother said was, don't let nobody ride your bike. That was the beginning of the joke. Right. And it was a comedian out of D.C. named Royal Watkins. He saw the potential of that joke, and he bought the joke, the premise from me. I, I was broke. He said, you want to sell it? I sold it to him for $25, right? But what I didn't tell him that I was going to try it again. So like a week later, I tried the joke again. It worked. And I called him. I said, here go your $25 back. That's what like, it is. And that was like one of my signature bits. That's the joke I did on Death Jam, too. Man, that joke is funny as hell because that's that's really the last instructions that you get before yeah. you take your bike out. And Don't he, let nobody ride your bike. And it wasn't that. I think I was scared he was going to whoop my ass. I, I tried to act like I was being friendly, but I was like, it's either I'm going to give it to him or he gonna take and it. And I don't get an ass woman, or he gonna take it. I was like, here you go, I'll talk to you later, son. <laughs> Have you seen Fat Tyrone since then, man? Haven't, haven't seen him. Shout out to Fat, Fat Tyrone. Fat Tyrone probably be dead. You can't have a life of stealing bikes and live that long. Man, you right? probably, he might be skinny as fuck now. Nah, Fat Tyrone, if I see you out there, I'm smacking in your face. Man, hell yeah. So run, run us down the history, man. You've been, you've been our favorite comedian for the fucking longest, man. What was your first TV spot? The first TV spot I did was Def Comedy Jam. Def Comedy Jam. And it was interesting because I did it. I was uh, I, I was only doing comedy for five months. Tell me your Def Comedy Jam story. The story was the same guy was telling you about Royal Watkins. Royal, Royal Watkins is a beast to the people who don't know Royal Watkins, one of the funniest niggas, best writers in, and, uh, in the game. Well, Royal Watkins, he was already signed with Rush Communication. That was Russell Simmons. Uh, uh, that was his uh, company like years ago. Yeah. And uh, Royal gave me a card with the name Bob Sumner on it, because I told him I wanted to do a show, how could I get you? He's supposed to be my boy, he said, you gotta talk to my people. I'm like, nigga, I didn't even know you had people. Right. So one day I was like, I'm gonna try something, I'm gonna try to see if I can get Bob Sumner on the line to talk to him, but I was like, it's not gonna be a good idea if I go up there and act like I'm looking for, I mean, call and act like I'm looking for an audition. Right. So I, I called the office and Christian, she answered the phone, I act like I already knew Bob, I was like, Yo, this is Donnell, where Bob at? Put Bob on the phone. Right, right. And she, she was a little nervous. She was, thought I was somebody, right? She said, okay, hold on. Cut to, next thing I hear was like, this is Bob Summer. I was like, look, I tricked your secretary into getting you on the line. I'm a funny comic. I work with some of the, uh, some of the people you represent. Can I come up there and get a shot on Def Jam or an audition? 
He was like, can you come Thursday? At the time, I was I already had a regular job, so I couldn't get off. I said, I'm not available. Then he said, well, let me know when you're serious. I was like, the following week I can go up. Went up there to Peppermint Lounge. If you know, the Peppermint Lounge was the place where you Jersey. auditioned. Jersey. If you could work, the Peppermint Lounge was harder than the actual show. If you could work the Peppermint Lounge and rip it, there's a chance you get on Def Jam. So I went on stage, they give you a seven minute set. I'm on stage for five minutes. Uh, Royale Watkins come to the side of the stage. He said, Bob loves you, you got the show. The minute he said that, I ain't take no more chances. Get out of there. The minute he said, you got the show, I was like, thank you, good night, I'm out of here. And um, that's how I got on Def Jam. <laughs> that's what it is, yeah. man. But that's funny thing, the is. first experience, to be quite honest, I wasn't even supposed to be on that episode, because when you do Def Jam, they record four comedians. Right. One comedian gets cut. All the time. At the time, I was, I was funny, but my set wasn't explosive. The person that was explosive on that show was Michael Blackson. Michael Blackson destroyed the show. Word. But what happened was Michael Blackson did nine minutes. He ripped, people going crazy, and at the end of his set, he said, I'm African, and you know what that means? I have a big dick, right? And he said, anybody wanna see my dick? They said, yeah, and he pulled out this big ass prosthetic dick. <laughs> Shit was about two feet long, right? Damn. He pulled it out, waved to the camera, the crowd went crazy, but there was no way the Def Jam could air. Like, the show was raw, right. but to go up there and just see somebody pull out a fake dick. So basically, wow. Michael Blackson pulling his dick out got me the show. Shout out to Jam. Michael Blackson. So Michael Blackson, <laughs> anytime you want to pull your dick out and get me another show, I'm ready for that, son. Pause, no homo. All right, Donnell, so now we got to catch up on some comedy hype news, man. This is where we... We track the comedians down and see what, what comedians pop up in the news, man. Right. So we always got some news. Bill Bellamy is going to play an ex-NFL linebacker in an inter, inter, interracial relationship on a new Fox comedy show. That sounds like a true story. That sounds like a true story. <laughs> that's, that's, the minute you go in the league, it's like your taste for white chicks go up like 100%, son. Damn. Okay. Uh, no Small Talk comedy series. Series premieres on title April the 1st, man. They shot this at New York. Shot this in New York at the Comedy Cellar. Got new comedians, veteran comedians, hosted by Chris DiStefano, Greer Barnes. Tony Woods is on there. Tony Woods be every fucking way, man. Tony Woods is like a legend in D.C. Anybody that ever went through the comedy scene in D.C., probably Tony Woods was, uh, was their mentor. He, he pretty much started me when I first moved from D.C. to New York, and I had just been working a chitlin circuit, like the black circuit. Yeah. And whenever I would go in front of an audience of all white folks, all I would kept saying was like, I'm black, I'm black. And Tony came to me and he said, yo, nobody care about what color you are, shorty. They care about if you're funny. So the minute he told me that, I always, always thought like they wouldn't laugh because they couldn't relate to like my background. Yeah. But at the end of the day, funny wins. And, and all that, the time. That, that was some guidance that got me started. Started doing mainstream, started doing crossover stuff and it worked out for me. Hell yeah, Tony Woods one of the funniest niggas I have ever seen yeah. in Bill my Bellamy life. don't need to get no more jobs, man. Man, Bill Bellamy been working for Forever. since he was a little boy. Bill Bellamy, <laughs> he, he hosted this show called uh, Ask America, right? Yeah. And it was up, it came down, I tested for that show. It came down to like four people. Bill was one of them, I was another one. And it was one of those gigs that was gonna get you like a half million dollars like in a month, right? So I had already counted the money, right? But what I didn't know is when you come and test for it, they was gonna pull them teleprompters out on you, right? Right. Man, they pulled four teleprompters on me. I felt like I was Floyd Mayweather on that one. You couldn't read them. It wasn't that I couldn't read them, it was just too much. You had to read this one, you had to read that one. Then you had to interact right here. I got up there, I start off, anytime you start off with like, um, um, um. <laughs> it ain't happening. They was like, okay, Donnell, nice nice to see you. But Bill got the job. But Bill is one of those people that, a really good good brother. Bill Bellamy, in fact, when I did Def Jam, um, uh, Bill, Bell Bill, Bill Bellamy gave me a good rec recommendation to Bob Sumner. He's one of those dudes that, no yeah. matter how successful he is, he always is willing to uh, give a Hulk Hogan just got awarded $115 million for his sex tape. That's taking sex tapes. I'm going to hire somebody to record my sex tape to sell that joint. Anytime I have sex is on tape from here on out. Shit. I wonder if he did it. Did, did, did he fuck it like a wrestler, though? He was fucking his homeboy's wife. Disrespectful, but you know, they get to that certain level. They don't call it freaky, they call it ex eccentric. It was being real freaky. I wouldn't let Hulk Hogan fuck my wife. Well, maybe for $115 million, brother. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Shit, that's a lot of fucking money. That is a lot of money. But you got to deal with that videotape's going to be, well, whatever. He got paid. I mean, it's Hulk Hogan. He like 71 now. He don't give a fuck. Yeah. But he still got the, he got the same mustache from like 30 years ago. 
Well, actually, that's the funny part because the, the whole sex tape was j- just the mustache. Hulk Hogan wasn't really even in the sex tape. It was his mustache. You know you take this to the next level. You can make a chick have an orgasm with a mustache. With a son. mustache. Only people can do that is Hulk Hogan and Chef Boyardee. <laughs> <laughs> They got the elongated mustache. The elongated mustache, man. That's crazy as hell, man. So you've been in some shit lately. I don't know what that means. You know what that shit means, Don. No this idea. is real last podcast, man. You've been in means. some shit. I don't know what you're talking about. If you're talking about the incident that happened in Philadelphia, by the instructions of my lawyer, they told me to explain it as this. It wasn't <laughs> a fight. It was a verbal confrontation. A verbal confrontation. Which ended in a light affray of punches. Okay. That's okay. How, that's, that's, the, how you, that's how you explain for the white people. That's it. And it was a verbal confrontation which ended in a light affray of punches because I thought I was in imminent danger. Thank you. You know what imminent danger is? That means danger right now. Right next to I didn't know what imminent danger was. I had an incident in Jersey years ago. Uh, in, in Jersey years ago when I got an altercation. It was like a road rage situation. and I Who got, had the road rage? You or them? It was a white dude. It was a white dude. Um, I was du- I was double parked. He was behind me, right? He started beeping his horn, and he started getting racist. racist. Yo! And he said, hey, buddy! No, he said, get out of the way, nigga. Oh. Right? And somebody asked me. Straight to niggas? So he didn't give you no pre-warning? I thought I was on an HBO documentary, right? And then I got out of the car. I said, like, what are you talking about? He caught me like the N-word like 15 times. I was like, one more of these, I'm going to set it off. Right? So 16 so, niggas is your limit. Six, no, it was a, it 17. Was a, it was a two nigga limit. It was oh, a two nigga oh, limit, okay. right? He went past that by about 15. Damn. So we, we got it popping on the street, right? And as a black person, it don't matter what situation you're in, you think that you're going to be guilty or something, right? right? So you might as well go all out. So they had a videotape of it, but on the videotape, they didn't have audio, right? So all you saw was me and him arguing. And the next thing you know, I set it off. So I talked to a lawyer. I was like, you think they're going to try to you know, like charge me with assault or something? He was like, no, Donnell, all you got to do is say you felt you were in imminent danger. I didn't know what imminent danger was. I didn't know that you could fuck somebody up because you thought they was about to fuck you up. Right. And once That's I why fuck, they need to write the law like that right? so niggas can understand. If yeah. somebody about to fuck you up, you can fuck, you can them, fuck up. them up. But the thing about it was I got addicted to imminent danger after that. Everywhere I went, I'd be at McDonald's. <laughs> Let me get a large fry with ketchup. We don't have no ketchup. Bop! I thought I thought I was <laughs> in imminent danger. danger. <laughs> Hold on, man. Them french fries was going to put me in imminent danger. So. Right. Who the fuck can eat McDonald's fries with no ketchup? Nobody, sir. That is child abuse. That's when you feel imminent danger. Imminent danger, set it off. Sir. Man, you one of the funniest niggas just <laughs> naturally. Like, I follow you on Instagram, right? And I remember one day you were just riding around and you saw this black Cadillac and you bought this black Cadillac and named it Charlie Murphy. I did. I named it Darkness Charlie Murphy. <laughs> I was, and the reason I got that Cadillac years ago, my dad, he was in the game. He was out there, It's which I say he was an illegal, he was into illegal pharmaceutical distribution. Okay. He sold heroin. Exactly. Listen, but he had a lot of cars, right? And I was, I was. Was he like a real heroin dealer? Or yeah, was... he was big time. Okay, cool. And I respected that because nothing like in the, in, the, in the black community, you get proud about different things. You know Hell yeah! Your I dad went... a drug dealer? No, he was a son of a drug dealer. Not just. I mean, he was a kingspin. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. you had bikes and gold chains and all type of TVs and shit at the house. He wasn't. He wasn't like on the. He wasn't a street soldier. He was that dude. Right. You know, I was just proud. I was like, yeah, he's selling drugs, but he's getting money. But he offered to give me this when I, on my 16th birthday. He wanted to give me this Cadillac. He had it. He didn't want to use it. Right. Right. And my mom was like, I don't think that's a good idea because you know the neighborhood we look at, it just wouldn't look right. 16 year old kid uh, with his Cadillac. So I was in Virginia Beach. I was doing some shows down here, driving like you said, driving down the street, and I saw this Cadillac on the grass. It was like the same one that my dad was gonna get it. I pulled over, I didn't care how much it was gonna cost, but I decided I was gonna buy it. And me and Charlie Murphy, we got an ongoing war. It's all fun. Yeah, it should be you funny know, it's, as it's hell, fun, man. But it's Charlie versus Donnell, but I said, I, I'm gonna tribute this Cadillac. It's a black Eldorado. So I named the Cadillac Darkness. I'm gonna get personalized tags that say Darkness, and the name of the car is Charlie Murphy Darkness. And that's how I got the car. That's what's up, man. Yeah. That's what's up. And you tried to buy it from you. you even I'm, I, as soon as you posted that shit, I was like, like what yo, you I want, want for that. it? I want now, it. I don't even drive. Because I, I bought me a Cadillac, too. I bought an 87 Fleetwood. Oh, yeah? Hell yeah, that shit pretty. This car's sweet, man. You could just like, it just, you know, back in the days, those were the type of cars where you could get it popping. Right there. That's before they had middle console. Yeah. Like right you, then, with the get, bench seat. And you get you get a chick, and then they had the, the, the electric joint to go back, and you ain't even got to say nothing to a girl. Once you hit that little switch, <laughs> it's over. what time is. You know, Shop open. Your mouth is about to be in imminent danger. That's right then. <laughs> <laughs> What's about that mouth, dude? Your mouth is in imminent danger, bitch. Give it to me. We got some fan questions in here for you, Donnell. It says, how did Ashley Larry come about? 
Ashley Larry, if you if you look at the Chappelle show, if you take an editor and they edit every time I spoke on that show, out of two and a half years, I probably only spoke a total on a timeline, it would be like five minutes. So anytime that they gave me a character, I knew that if I wasn't able to be vocal, I had to, physically I had to be funny. Right. So when the breakdown came for um it wasn't Ashley Larry, it was just Larry. Right, it was a dude, the description was a dude with boxers and like some dress shoes. But when I was younger, I used to shoot dice all the time. And the way I would get caught, my mother would look at my knees. She was like, were you shooting dice? I was like, no. She was like, why are your knees so ashy? You were shooting dice. So when I saw the guy as a dice player from the hood, I said, you know what? I want to be ashy. I want to be so ashy that I could write how much money people owe me on the side of my legs. So <laughs> I pitched that to Dave. Dave fell in love with it. The character just was Larry. And I put the ash to it. So the dude went from... He went from he went from Larry to Ashy Larry, and for some reason America loves Ashy people. That's like one of the most. <laughs> Who would have ever thought that? I don't know. I don't know. It's I don't know what it is, but it's just something about an Ashy person. You want to root for him, and after that, that character became. And I'm not being cocky, but it probably became one of the most iconic characters in sketch history. Hell sketch yeah. history. People love Ashley Larry. Hell yeah, y'all made a lot of history with that. Yeah, we made a lot of history, but like everywhere, and it's so funny because that 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 character has haunted me like. I was dating this girl, and she never thought I was cheating on her. But anytime I would put lotion on, she thought something was going, something on. Was going on. She was like, "This, what you think you going with all that lotion on? <laughs> <laughs> Your skin is about to be in imminent danger, boy." Yeah, but it was it was just one of those things. And, that, and when, even when I was that sketch, it wasn't designed for me to blow up. It was the first sketch where we had somebody outside of our core group. Like that sketch was for Eddie Griffith and and um and Dave Chappelle. They had the most lines when I was doing it. You know, I got in the zone, and when we were doing it, Charlie Murphy was standing on the side of the cameras. He came up to me, and he was like, this nigga, do you know what you're doing this character? I was like, I had no idea. I'm just, you know, I'm into it. You know how sometimes right. you get into something, you don't know until you see the results of it with the dailies. But that that sketch is, that sketch and that character is the one that, I'm still eating off of Ashley. Like Hell that. yeah. People are like, do you ever get tired of people calling you Ashley? I'm like, Ashley is an LLC. You can write a check to Donnell Rollins, or you can write a check to Ashley Larry. So you know. send a check to Ashley Larry right now. Ashley Larry LLC, and I'm catching up. Okay, this one, you know I got to do it because I, I I see it all the time, just randomly. You you and Charlie Murphy back and forth with the with the uh, Ashley Larry Donnell Rollins versus Charlie Murphy. Give me one of your favorite Charlie Murphy stories because I've been with Charlie. Charlie tells stories all damn day. Charlie Murphy never stopped talking. You got a uh, Charlie Murphy story you want to share with the 85 First off, South the show? the Charlie Murphy stories are all lies. I'm here to tell everybody. <laughs> he be lying. They're lies. <laughs> okay, you heard it here about, first. Everything about Charlie Murphy is a lie. His teeth is a lie. <laughs> His teeth is a lie. His teeth are porcelain. Charlie Murphy teeth, I'm telling you, Charlie Murphy is nothing but a liar. All right, I don't have no doubt, darkness. Charlie Murphy. No, I, Charlie Murphy. Funniest story. I got it's a it's a Charlie Murphy and the Bill Burr story. When we were when we story when we were doing the I'm Rich Bitch tour years ago. This was more reflection of who Bill Burr is and how white men can trick you. Like me and Charlie Murphy, the we white go, man's tricks. You know, we would we would go out and like we would party. We would turn up the night before, and Bill Burr. We would get in the, in, in the car, and Bill Burr wanted to get us to go to sleep because he didn't want us to. Ha hassle him yeah. and Bill Burr this is so racist he would show up like a 12 piece Popeye's chicken every every day and he knew if he gave me and Charlie Murphy Popeye's chicken we would fall asleep so that is 12 sick. piece chicken two bites into it we would fall asleep it's probably my most interesting Charlie Murphy story but <laughs> Charlie Murphy is nothing nothing but a liar <laughs> nothing but a liar so what was it like being at this is another fan question what was it like being at the writers table for the Chappelle show it was I was like more of a, a and con a con if you want to say a contributor, contributing yeah. writer, yeah. like we would pitch ideas to them, and then for the most part, Dave and Neil would write it out. But it was one of those man working on that show is one of those shows where I didn't even feel like uh, I was ever at work. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? We would work 16 to 17 hour days, never feel like we were working. And um, I, I I I used to be on that show. I would go like if we had a seven day week schedule, yeah. if I was off four days, I would go to work every day. For one, I was broke as hell when we first started doing the show, so it was an easy way for me to get free food, craft services. All that. And Shout I, out to craft services. Craft services on point there. You ever go to craft service and make your own sandwich? I made peanut butter jelly all sandwiches, that. all that, that toasted bread. That beautiful. Out. They and have that, that white people lettuce with the vein in the middle. Yeah, not not, not that iceberg, that, nah. that, that fly lettuce, the dark green Yeah, lettuce. that should be pretty on the sandwich. Rocket, they call it rocket and arugula and shit like that. <laughs> all that. But I knew, Swiss like. Swiss cheese on a nigga? Swiss, that's when you know you go to the next level. This the one. Black Dijon know, mustard. Dijon mustard and Swiss cheese. You 
You don't know nothing about that. Shit, I've Black been people there. know two cheeses, American and that block cheese, that yeah. government cheese. That yellow cheese. Yo, in, in fact, in the black community, if you switch your cheeses up, niggas think you changed. Right. Come outside with some white cheese on Come, your sandwich. Talk about, I want a blue cheeseburger. They nigga, like, oh, oh no. This nigga the here. first thing your brother say, pause, no homo. You eat blue cheese now? Wait, hold up, nigga, where you get this shit from? Well, going back to, you know, I said about working on that show, like I knew because it was so loose on the on set that I knew if I went to work, again, I got free food, but it was always a chance of me just, Dave would just throw me in a sketch. Right. Like when we did the Black Bush sketch, I was just hanging out. You know, the outfit I had was like like just my regular day-to-day clothes, and there was an extra or, or, or a U5 that had lines, but he kept blowing it. So Dave was like, is Donna here? You want to give him a chance at it? I went in there. And I rocked it. You know what I'm saying? Like every, I think 80% of the sketches I was in, I wasn't even supposed to be there. It was just me hanging out. Yeah. And that was one thing dope about um, the show. Dave would uh, trust your comedic sensibility. And if you was bringing something to the table, he would let you continue. And I, you know, that's a tribute to what type of person he is. And once you let, trust people to do their thing and don't just make them stuck to the words. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You have to have some discipline because people will go crazy. But if people, if they trust you and they know you can bring it, you know, you create a great show like Spell Show. And that's what we did. We like trust our comedic ability and we did. Hell yeah. So tell me the difference. Like when you first started, you say you broke as hell with the uh, show, right? Right. Then you got rich, bitch. Oh, you know, that phrase got me into a lot of trouble. Because a lot of times I go on my friends, when the check comes, niggas don't even look at their wallet. First thing they say, I thought you said you was rich, bitch. I'm, <laughs> I'm stuck with the check. But that show was like, I, people always say, Donnie and Will, if it wasn't for the Chappelle show, blah, 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 this and that. But I look at it like this. If you compare it to, like, you on a basketball team, you know, you'll get a shot, but it's what you do when you get in the game. Yeah. Like, we didn't have a uh, – we didn't have, like – it wasn't a cast. It was like you're as good as your last sketch. So if you rocked one sketch, you had an opportunity to get um, – to be in another sketch. But I will say that show gave me the platform – for people to see what I've been doing for years. You yeah. know what I'm saying? They didn't make me funny. Yeah. As much as Dave gave me an opportunity, I contribute to the show and I made the show funny. So at the end of the day, it was like a win-win for everybody concerned. Hell yeah. What are some of your favorite sketches on the show? My Maybe fav- some that didn't my, just my, the, my favorite sketch was um, the Wayne Brady sketch. Yeah. And the reason why it was funny because the way it, it came about, like Dave did, I think it was like, it was a sketch with uh, Paul Mooney and Paul Mooney did a diss on Wayne Brady. And Wayne, um, Wayne Brady saw Dave at a club or somewhere in New York, and he was a little offended by it because Wayne Brady's a good guy, man. Yeah. And he was a fan of the show, and Dave felt you know, some, some type of way about it, so he invited Wayne Brady to do the sketch. And for me, that sketch was deep because it took Wayne Brady out of the character that everybody knew him for. Yeah. Everybody know Wayne Brady is a straight-laced guy, but they don't know how great of an actor he is. So for, for Wayne Brady to go from the guy from whose line is it anyway to a guy like Wayne Brady. Is Wayne Brady gonna have to slap a bitch? The funny thing about that part, it took us probably 35 minutes to get Wayne Brady to say that. Damn. Cause that's not his style. Wayne Brady's is, you know, like straight lace dude. So he was given every option. Wayne Brady was like this. Can I say, is Wayne Brady gonna have to harm a young lady? Oh no. So he was trying <laughs> yeah. to fan all the way. Yeah, ways he was trying to clean that joint up, right? He said, like, can I say I feel more comfortable? And we was like, no, is Wayne Brady gonna have to choke a bitch? And when it hit, it hit. Yeah. But I'll tell you another thing about Chappelle's show, I consider myself to be like the um, like the second caster on that show because every time they needed somebody for a scene in the last minute, I would call my friends. Anytime you saw a scene on Chappelle's show where it was real niggas in the background, it was really real niggas in the background. Right. It was like my boys, because a lot of my boys wasn't working. So I was like, yo, I got an opportunity. He's like, what, I'm gonna put y'all on this show. They was like, nigga, we don't wanna do that. I was like, it pays $75, you get to get craft services. But more importantly, <laughs> you get, I wanted to get my dudes an uh, opportunity to oh, see, yeah. see another thing. So anytime you saw a real nigga, it was really a real nigga. Damn. You know what I'm saying? So that that was, a, that was that's, that's, the show was just awesome. It was an opportunity for people that weren't experienced in this business to get involved with it. You know what I'm saying? I did everything I could do to try to, to make the show hot. And you know, like I will say, 12 years later, the show hasn't been on for 12 years, but people make it feel make me feel like the show's on like every week. Yeah. And that's a testament when you put something solid down, people will follow it. Hell yeah, man. Another fan question. People say, um, you you talk about being in the Air Force, you know, what it like a lot in your set, what do you get uh, like your inspiration and how do you mix all that together? Well, I you know just going from that world to the comedy world. Some people like have systems where they try to write the perfect joke. I don't really like to try to write the perfect joke. I like to be able to, you know, just share my life. You know, every yeah. every day, 
you're a comic, you know what I'm saying? You're yeah, a natural yeah. comic. So we get, as long as you can put yourself around people and be engaged, like, in life, you'll find some funny stuff. So yeah. opposed to type, like this joke about me being a rocket scientist, if it's not real to me, I'm not going to do it. So what I try to do is just recreate scenes and things that happen in my life. If you get up there, storytelling. If you could get up there and share that story, that I think that's some of the, the best comics. You know, everybody got their different style. You got different styles. Some people got that, the, the joke, the setup, the punch, the callback. I just like to tell you about my life and try to put a comedic twist on that and make yeah. it real. Funny shit. Yes, sir. Funny ass shit, man. Um, shit, that's the same question. Where you draw your inspiration from? What, who are some of your favorite comedians to watch? Um, <clears throat> niggas you think are funny. There's a lot of funny motherfuckers out here. Um, I like, t Tony Robbins is one of my favorite. Tony Robbins is fucking amazing. It's one of my favorite. Cause he's one of them dudes, just like, he's like, he's animated, he's over the top, and you never, you can see a person's act, but you always know it's gonna be something that's off the cuff. When I first started, uh, Martin Lawrence kind of like got me excited about comedy because the first time I saw Martin Lawrence perform, I was like, his his comedy was so just regular around the way shit. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like every joke, every story, Martin said it was like, oh man, I remember that. I did the same thing. Martin Lawrence reminds me of somebody when you go to the barbershop. There's always one dude in there that's funny as hell. I, I enjoy watching him. Um, Rob the late great Robin Harris. Robin Harris. Robin Harris is one of those dudes that had every style. He could do a stock joke. He could go in the audience and mess with you, or he could tell a true life story to himself. And of course, like, I never saw Richard Pryor perform live, but Richard Pryor was like, you like, like one of my favorite comics to watch because when Richard Pryor was out, he was one of those, you could test, you could tell that he was testing the industry and everything that he did was like, not so much shock, but it was he was he was going where no other comic would go. You know, he was yeah. one of my favorites to watch. Yeah, so you got any more um, movies coming out? I've nah, been seeing some not really. <laughs> seeing you all around the place. I, I just, know you ain't doing no movies right now. No, no, I don't really have anything in in terms of like any like theatrical releases. Like the last couple of years, I've really been going heavy with stand up. Yeah, but see, you be sneaking in on shit though. Like you, yeah. you'll be just doing regular shit, doing a whole bunch of uh, stand up shows, and then your ass just pop up in a movie. You got, shit. you know, I, like to be quite honest, I don't make money with film and television. Like stand up is my thing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that the way my career going is gonna be similar to like the route Chris Rock took. Chris Rock was a regular on a certain lot, but it didn't really pop him off. So Chris Rock, when he left SNL, he went on the road for like a year. He was like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do an hour special that's gonna blow everybody away. I think that if I can get people to continue to support me on the stand up, I can make myself enough of a brand that people wanna put me in more movies, but at the end of the day, if I can make money doing stand-up, I'll do that. You know, I'm not thirsty for TV roles or anything. Yeah. I'm thirsty to make money, and, so, and you know, after 20 years, I position myself to be able to do six, at least six figures a year cracking jokes. For a good dude that only has a military background, high school education, you know, at the end of the day, I'm winning, doing something I love and making people laugh. You can't beat that shit. Yeah, how you feel about the new, um, the new online comedy? I think that it's one of those things like old school dudes would tell you, when I was coming up, but at the end of the day, everything evolves. Everything. You know what I'm saying? I'm from the flyer flyer era. You know what I'm saying? You know, you thought about We actually had to do this shit. Yeah, hand to hand, 5,000 flyers. Right. The motherfucker's personality was dictated by that flyer. You know, you had some dudes wouldn't even talk to a girl unless they had a flyer in their hand. But I think that. <laughs> I think That's that real. it's the truth. I think that the, the beauty of social media and everything is that you don't have to wait for a network to blow you up. Right. You know, you can you can you can blow yourself up in front of your uh, in front of a laptop. The only thing is, you still gotta you gotta marry that with some type of talent. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to just be the comedian. That only thing you know is like that moment you know when. That's what I call it. Those type of comments. Right. They're just like everything. The facial expressions, expressions in the same way. You know. You will get a shot, and you can build a network off that, but when people start coming to see you perform, they're going to see more than that. So if you can find a nice way to combine what you can do with social media and having some talent, I think that the sky's the limit, and you don't have to wait for networks to pass you. You can do it yourself. And you know, like I know now, the the networks, they coming to you, they looking at your social presence. Yeah, that's the first you know, shit so they want to do. I've, I've known that I've been, uh, certain jobs I should have 
got, but I know when they look at the stats, okay, this guy has this many followers, this guy has that many followers, a network has to make a decision on how they make money off of it. Yeah. So for all the guys out there, the six second dudes, the 15 second dudes, there's nothing wrong with that, but at least have some talent to back it up and then you can kill the game. Hell yeah, the game need to be killed. Yes, like sir. have you had that moment in your career where you like, okay, this is some success that I could be proud of. Like that moment where you're like, okay, all I, the work is paying off. I will. I won't know if there's one specific moment that would let you uh, would lead you to believe that for me that that was the one that set me off. But there was, I think, one of the greatest shows I ever had. It was like a year ago. I had to do a show at Magoobie's Comedy Joke House in in Maryland. Right. Yeah. So it's a it's a small comedy theater, like 300 people. So I'm on stage. For three minutes, my intro was killing. I'm ripping the room. First three minutes in, and all of a sudden, the lights went out in the venue. Not only the venue, but the lights went out in the entire time. Yeah. In the, in the entire town, it's it's pitch black in there. Only lights in there are like the uh, emergency lights. You know how you have the exit sign, the emergency yeah. lights. And I knew that if I wouldn't continue my show, the club was going to lose money. They wasn't going to be able to run credit cards or anything. So I did. Um, I never stopped my show. Dropped the mic. I went out in the audience and I told him, I was like, look, we don't have no lights. What I need everybody to do is like, anybody with a cell phone, I need you to take your cell phone out and turn light on in the, on the cell phone. So I I went into the audience. I, everybody had their cell phone, their cell phone out. It illuminated the audience. And I did an hour with no microphone, with no lights, no nothing. And the funny thing about it, at the end of the show, I was, I was going down, coming to the closer end of the show, and I saw this girl in there I knew. I was like, yo, what's up? I said, I'm not going to talk shit to you because I know you know me personally. And if you start sharing some of my stories with you years ago, the lights would come back on in this motherfucker. And the minute I said that, an hour later, the lights came right back on. I was like, look, I'm God up in this bitch. That's crazy. And that's like, comics, you, you got moments, you know, you see people perform where the room is ripping. It's not a chance to have a defining moment because everybody ripping. But for me to be able to go and do an hour complete dark with just lights from the camera. For me, personally, that was like a defining moment in my, in my career. Hell yeah. So what are some of your favorite cities to go perform? The ones with the biggest checks, huh? Hell yeah. I know I'm not a big fan of Philly after they try to fuck me up in that goddamn pancake. <laughs> <laughs> nah, anybody, people always say, what's your favorite city? I think that every city has something. Different vibe. Has a different vibe. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's our job, you know, to uh, make ourselves comfortable in that city. And so go find that vibe. And, and go find a vibe. Don't have a favorite city. It's certain places that you feel more because the one you get the biggest check and you're like, hopefully I'll come back to that. But It's day, always some weird ass place that got the big ass check. Kalamazoo, Mitch Kalamazoo. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck is in Kalamazoo? <laughs> Think my life is in imminent danger fucking with this city. <laughs> Not the imminent danger. Yeah, man. you gotta use that shit. Hell no, man. So what's what's next for Donnell Rollins, man? Where, where you going with it? Uh, well, I want to do another special. I think another special, I've been, you know, been touring hard for a while. The last yeah. special I did was like five years ago. And I, I got so much material that I got to, um, I got to down, I got to just drop it somewhere. You know, after a while, let me ask new you this. Shit like, you, get to, you get to travel a lot and uh, move around and, and, you know, hit a whole bunch of different cities. Do you do you get to see the cultural impact that the Chappelle show had? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I definitely notice it. When I go, my audience, like, I don't, my audience not just specific to, like, to a black audience. Yeah. Right? When I go to my shows, it's, like, old people, it's white people, it's Indian, it's Asian. And everybody, and I know that's definitely you know contributed to uh, being on Chappelle's show. That Chappelle show broke all type of barriers. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I'll have a I'll have a show where it's like, yo, what up, my nigga? You funny like? And then I have some another person like, man, when y'all did that sketch about reparations, I really love that, man. But that 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 show definitely like crossed the lines and everything, and it, it helped me out because when you go to my go to my shows now, it's like it's like everybody. And I offend everybody, not just one race or yeah. one person. Offend everybody. If you're going to be offensive, offend everybody. That's what's dope as hell, though. Like as a comedian, you know, when you're at your show and you're headlining, and you just look out in the audience and you see that all these different people came to see you, like people you would never think would even be fucking with you. The funny thing about it, it's shit funny. Like so that. when you first start comedy, you know, you don't have an audience. You know what I'm saying? Normally, the promoter have audiences. You know right. what I'm saying? Like you're you're here like, you know, like like Dynamite Tuesdays yeah. or Mo Better Mondays and everything. Oh, you can't fuck with my crowd. Yeah, yeah, you can't fuck with my crowd. But the the thing is, they provide that audience. They provide the audience, but it's your job to be a great comic in that audience. 
But, you know, sometimes, you know, it's overwhelming me because I'll go and I'll sell out shows, different cities, not everywhere, but, you know, I, I do well. And then when you, when you go out there and you realize that people are actually there to see you, yeah. not just the audience that the promoters provided, but right. to see you, that's when you're like, you know what, you're doing something. Because it's hard. People can be funny, but it's hard to get to that point where you, you're actually a draw and you make money for an establishment yourself. And that's when you can pat something back. You say your hard work is paying off. Hell. This is dope hell to have you right here on the 85 South Show. You in Atlanta tonight, you performing. Do you have a history with the city of Atlanta? Because you know, Atlanta always been like a dope ass comedy market like yeah. in the beginning. So how long you been coming to Atlanta? I've been coming here, here since Jamie Foxx used to do the La Left Lapalooza. Hell yeah. Yeah, that was a shout out to uh, Jamie Foxx, Marcus King and everybody uh, involved with that. That was one of those showcases where, like when I first started, uh, in the black comedy scene, we didn't have a lot of showcases. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it wasn't a lot of us getting invited to the Montreal Comedy Festival. So, Marcus King and Jamie Foxx said, "You know what? You know this in the black community. You know we got strength. People support what we do. We so need that shit we, back we, right now. Good. It would be good to have it back. But I remember that was. I think that was maybe like 12, 12, maybe like fourteen I years think ago. The last one they did was maybe like oh eight or oh nine. Yeah, and that was like that was like that was like my first introduction." To Atlanta, I thought Atlanta was like Montreal. I was like, I'm about to blow up now right. doing the lap of Belusa. I think Cedric and Tana had something special there, but yeah. Atlanta's always good. Atlanta is one of those markets, especially for black artists. It's like people consider it the Black Hollywood. Yeah, you know, what I'm saying if you don't go to California, go to New York, you got a good chance of doing something good for yourself in Atlanta. It's one of those places I always come and perform. Tell, like a lot of young comedians watch the 85 South show and shit. Yeah. So tell them about that New York run. Like a lot of comedians, they, you know, it's when you do your first New York run and you come back, everything changed. You so feel so good. give them some of that, I, some I, of that advice. Especially when I was coming, the comedy market was hot as shit. And one thing about New York, I, I, I advise anybody, if you think about, especially on the stand-up side, everybody's like, I want to go to Hollywood. That's good if you have acting chops, if you took some acting classes. But the place if you want to get your weight up is New York. You can do like three or four shows a night. You know what I'm saying? Everybody has a room. You can do like, you can do like, you know, the black comedy circuit. You could do the mainstream. But I really believe that if you can come up and you can do it in New York and rip audiences in New York, it prepares you to be able to perform anywhere. Yeah. It's just something. New York is a gritty town, man. And at the end of the day, they will let you know if you're funny or if you're not. And right I, then. It ain't no waiting. They're going like to let you right know there. right tell then. Tell a joke. As soon as you come say, come and just say, tell a joke, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, like, the biggest thing I noticed when I moved from New York to L.A. is that in New York, again, if you're not funny, you know in three minutes, you know quick. In LA, like if you're a, if they're a lot, you like twelve minutes to do your set. If you're not funny, they will let you keep going, and do your entire twelve minutes. Right. And I never understood that. In in New York, three minutes, you getting that motherfucking wrap up sign, and another person's getting that time. But New York, for all the young comments out there, if you want to be like a top notch stand up, and you want to be able to to work out every night and get your and get your skill set up. Definitely start in New York and then go to L.A. and showcase and you'll kill it. Most people, you notice, like like Mike Epps. Me and Mike Epps moved to um, to New York about the same time. Most yeah. people, when they when they when they uh, build that network and 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 get strong in New York, when they go to L.A., they they take it by storm because it's like we never see anything like that. The energy is different and people respect that. Hell yeah! Oh shit! This is my favorite part of the show, man. Huh? On the 85 South show, we got this shit called the Nigga Please Award. That's where we just give out awards for people who've been showing their ass lately, man. Okay. Anybody you want to give a Nigga Please Award to? Cat Williams. <laughs> you know what? Cat Williams. Yo, is Cat Williams, <laughs> come on, man. This is no disrespect. I love you, son. But how do you start a beef with Kevin Hart, man? Kevin Hart is the nicest nigga in entertainment. Talk start, about it. Starting beef with Kevin Hart is like trying to fight Snoopy, nigga. Who the fuck? <laughs> Who the fuck wanna fight Snoopy? Come on, Cat, we love you, son. We don't wanna see you in prison. We wanna see you on TV. We wanna see you doing live performances, son. Cat Williams, stop it. And you getting arrested in weird places. Who the fuck get locked up in the pool supply shop? Exactly. Who the fuck does that? What nigga, nigga buy chlorine in the wintertime? <laughs> We love you, Cat. When the fuck is it. Cat Williams swimming at this I time? I don't know. Here, you man. know something not right when you you you, you go at uh, you go at Kevin Hart. Then you go to his hometown. You get in a fight at a club at a Benny Siegel concert, and then as a reward for the fight, you give Benny Siegel a two hundred thousand dollar Lambo as a birthday gift. <laughs> 
Come on, man. You know. And Benny Siegel was happy. Benny Siegel he was probably excited about sold it. that bitch. He was excited about it until that goddamn red engine light come on. That's what yeah, he like. Exactly. I don't know if this was a good gift, son. I don't you can't know, afford, man. Can't afford the oil trains and the Lambos, son. The nigga please Nobody award goes, goes to Cat. I have to do that. Cat, we love you, but nigga please. Come on, son. What you think he need to do to get his shit back right, man? Nothing. Cat Williams is Cat Williams. Certain people are eccentric. Certain people you know that that's the thing that drives them. You know, Cat Williams is the type of person that... He's a he was a, he's an outspoken person. He he's, he got his views on certain things. That's okay, but just don't get arrested in that process. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like keep it cool, man. Like everybody, every the black community love Cat Williams. At the end of the day, he can do no wrong. But at the same time, we don't want to have to continue to defend your character when that goes. Yeah, I'm tired of explaining we this. We shit. don't want to have to say. We don't want to have to say. Oh no, nah, it was just. We love you, nigga. We love you like your mother love you. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. you know, if you get locked up, well, he didn't really kill all those people. They said something to him. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's motherly love. But I'm just saying, man, we don't want to give people opportunity to shit on your name, whatever. You're a talented brother. Been in the game for, for a long time. And Cat Williams, and what I know of Cat Williams and what I've heard the story, Cat Williams, you know, helps a lot of people in his family and the community. So I'm just saying, you know, when I give you the nigga please award, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm saying that out of love. And we want you, we want to be able to see you perform live and do your thing. Fuck all this bullshit. Let's get this money. Like you said years ago, funny money. Let's That's get it. this funny money. Let's get yes. that. I want to go get some funny money, man. Yeah, shout out to uh, Benny Siegels. I know that. I, I know that motherfucking Lambo is, is uh, on eBay right now, sir. Man, it's probably like four niggas riding to the store to get some Dutchess in there. You know it's fucked up when you can't afford maintenance on a car. I remember when, when 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 I was younger, at the beginning of my career, you go to a mechanic, nigga, you be nervous as shit. Anything he say, you repeat back to him. <laughs> that nigga say carburetor, he like carburetor. <laughs> <laughs> he said I need a carburetor. <laughs> you like water pump, water pump. <laughs> I'm gonna kill myself. Son. I'm gonna tell you the worst thing you want to hear. You think you can afford all that shit, but the minute somebody say you blow a head gasket, nigga, you know like oh, I, might oh, nigga. I might as well strap this shit, nigga. And you don't even want to take your car. It make it sound like your car got AIDS, and it ain't gonna make it out the it door. Make, and it's always that nigga. It's always a greasy mechanic, motherfucker. He always got some oil up on his fingernail. Like oh man, I'm gonna tell you what you need right there, nigga. I need you to get out of my face and wash this your hands. Bullshit. That's what I need you to do. Yeah, that's what it is, man. You got any family in the south? Um, my, from New York one of my and, one of my uh, sisters DC. one of my sisters um, live here. My sister, one of my sisters on my father's side, because black people are the only people with a with a, a father's side. That's why I was asking, because everybody and their mama got yeah, some family. Yeah, you like this? You got any brothers and sisters? Well, on my on my mother's side, <laughs> I got three on my father's side. We stopped counting. When in you got to count your nigga. mama and daddy kids separate. Yeah, but um, yeah, my, my I got a sister that lives here, but for most part, um, most of my family is in um uh, in the DC DC Maryland area. This is always an interesting ass question people ask comedians. If it wasn't comedy, what would it be? I, the weird thing, I would have been a cop. What? And, 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 and the reason why I say that because I was in the Air Force for four years. I was a police officer in the Air Force. Right. So when you're in the military, whatever you're, whatever you're trained on, that's usually what you have the skill set for to do. So when I first, uh, um, when I, um, when I got out of the military, I was waiting to be a DC police officer and I used to work security for Safeway. You know the grocery store? Yeah. I was like head of security. I think like that makes a big I was like I was Say that shit again. I you was, were what? I was head of security. I wasn't just a rental cop, nigga. So I was in charge of all the other rental cops. When security started, it, it was you first. Like, yeah. Okay. I was I was I was I, and I made myself a colonel, nigga. I just went down to the <laughs> uniform shop, said, give me one of them colonel joints. You bullshit. Yeah, this this not this not a lie. I was waiting to be a, I was waiting to be a, a DC police officer. I was working for Safeway, and at the time it was a comedian out of DC named Mike Washington. He used to work for hostess. You know, like the, the like the cake, hostess cake, and he used to come to our store, and he would stock the shelves and then get niggas flyers for the show at the same time to try to you know, so we would go at my job, we would go to open mic just as some fun camaraderie shit to do, right. and um I would go and I just started heckling the comedians. So you started as a heckler. I started as a heckler. I would heckle comedians. I was nice though. So who I, you get like out of all the niggas? Who who's the one that you got? Um damn, I I used to hit uh. Chris Thomas, all the old The mayor. School. Listen, I used to go in. I was so nice as the heckler. They used to come up to me like, yo, man, don't fuck with me today. I'm trying to work on some new shit, right? <laughs> this is not a lie. This is a true story. They'll tell you in DC. And I, I got so good at being a heckler, I started drawing an audience. People used to come to the club to see the heckler nigga in the front row. And I was so cocky about it, I went to the club owner, and I tried to get a door deal 
Get the as a heckler. As a heckler. Get the fuck out of here. Yo, I man. was like, look, I've increased your business by 30%. I need it's time for y'all to come up off that cash, right? Damn. So any club on, they like, who the hell are you, right? I was like, I'm the heckler nigga. Who you think I am, right? <laughs> so they want you to shut up. And this is the case with most club owners. They will challenge, because just because you're a heckler, I don't mean you could be a stand-up. Right. So they would challenge you. And he was like, You think you're funny, why don't you go up on stage? So I was a little nervous. I didn't go up that time. And like I went home and I started writing jokes and I thought I had a half hour show. I was like, I'm hitting with this, I'm hitting with that. And the first time I went on stage, all the jokes that I wrote, I forgot everything. I drew a blank. But what happened was I went in the audience. I went in on the audience. I destroyed the audience, right? And like the first time I ever went on stage, I ripped, right? And I didn't even know what the light was. I didn't know what the light meant. They gave me the light. As soon as I got the light, I was like, oh, they gave me the light. I can't believe that. You know how it is when you say they gave you the light when they the love crowd, you. The like, oh, oh nigga, yeah, don't, like, don't go, even do that. What? Fuck this club. Y'all ain't shit, right? Fuck this club. I'll pay you. Yep. I'll pay you. It's yep. always that one nigga who yep. act like he going to yep. pay you. Get him back up there. But that, Fuck that. That was, that was my transition. If it was, and then like the minute that I was on stage and I, I ripped, I, I was like, I stopped the process. I was at the process where they was doing like, the background check to be a cop. And I stopped that process, and I knew that this was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I would've probably, I'm quite sure I would've been a cop. I would've been a corrupt cop. I was just about, would you be a Everything, cop right now yeah, with the I would, shit going I would've on? probably retired by now, but I wouldn't have, I would've been a cop, but I would've been one of the cops like, what happened to that shit in the evidence locker, nigga? <laughs> it was oh, like, it was man. two pounds of weed, now there's two ounces, what happened to Missing yeah. the weed. But that's definitely, I probably, that would've been, it was a, it was a when, you, when you talk about a career shift, Definitely a career shift from a cop to being a stand-up comic. Never would have expected this, but this is what it is, and I embrace it. I thought you was gonna say a chef. You be chefing up some shit. Only reason I'd love to cook now because when I first started gun comic, I was so broke that I couldn't afford to take a chick on a nice date. You know how you you know when the motherfuckers, Hell yeah, the no. motherfuckers are most romantic when they broke. When you broke, you'll light you broke, a candle in a minute. Yeah, yeah, Don't even tell her that the and, lights off. And it won't even be a good candle. It'd be one of them R.I.P. candles. Yeah, one of them. One of them memorial <laughs> candles. One of them religious joints. And you like, you know, you gotta when you don't have the money, you have to be creative. And like that's was one that was one of the things that got me excited about cooking. Like women was like, we don't even need to go out. I'll take your food. Like I could take you gotta learn how to work on a budget. Another advice I would tell new comments coming up. You, they was like, what do I need to do to make it? I was like, learn how to be happy broke. If you can't be happy broke, you're gonna be fucked up because 80% of your career, you're not gonna make money. Shit, that apply to everybody. Yeah, you gotta learn how to be happy broke because then when you, when you, if you learn how to be happy broke, once you start getting things, you, you appreciate it more and it means more to you. Hell yeah, be happy broke. What was some of the shit you used to do to stay happy while you was broke? You don't um, never miss them days? Just go on stage, that's how I, I always wanted to get on stage. When I, when I first moved to New York, like, I always wanted to get on stage. Was, I remember there's one particular one of them little small clubs. They paid like $25 spots. I would go like, it was every Thursday. I would go every Thursday. It was, I was like, can I get on? It was like, it was Brooklyn Mike. He was like, I can't get you on. You was just here last week. I was like, nigga, I got new jokes. You know what I'm saying? That was the one thing. When I when I didn't have anything, my the thing that made me happy was performing. So as long as I could get on stage, I thought I was like, like, like creatively, I was eating. I didn't have shit. But you know, I've always felt good if I could do a, a, a brand new bit. I'm like, yeah. yo, I just killed this shit. I can't wait because I knew that I was gonna get a shot eventually. The whole thing is like, in this business, you will, if you have work ethics and you're talented, you will get a shot. But it's you gotta be prepared. You gotta be. Prepared. You know what I'm saying? When you prepared, because you don't want to be hitting the back of the rim or the backboard. When you get a shot, you gotta hit all nets, and you continue to do that, then you'll 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 make it. What were some of your brokest comedy moments? One of my brothers coming moment, I remember uh I remember I had a show. I was living in Brooklyn and I had a show uh, in Long Island. I had to do a college. I didn't have no money. In fact, my roommate I robbed a nigga change bucket. You robbed your roommate for his change. And he knew I was robbing him because you know how when you hit the change bucket, you hit all the quarters first, right? <laughs> <laughs> yo, if I took a week of quarters, right? That nigga was like, yo, I'm down to that you go from quarters to the dimes. Yep. To the nickels, right? Yep. And I had a show in Long Island, and I had just slaughtered his change joint. And I had to get a ticket for the Long Island Railroad, and it, it was $13. And I had $13 in nickels and dimes, nigga. Damn. When I was walking through the subway, I could hear this shit like, <laughs> And then the worst thing is, like, I had the pocket, I had the $13 counted in one pocket, so I didn't have to... I wasn't gonna do this, right? I just was, was empty the shit, throw it in the thing, right? And that lady counted the shit, and I was short like about 82 cents, so I had to go into the backup pocket with the oh, pennies. $13 and like 85 cents, I had to do that. But I was like, you know what? I don't give up. 
fuck because I had a $300 gig on the end of this, right? Right. So the school was so petty. They were supposed to pick me up at the train station. They was like, we can't get picked. Nobody can come pick you up. So I had to go in the pocket again. The cab driver, I was like, look, man, I don't have enough money. Damn. I said, I think I'm going to be big time one year, man. I mean, sooner or later. If you can remember my name, man, I got a pocket full of nickels, man. Could you take it? And dude was like, you know what? Don't even worry about it. He took the change, and that was like one of, the, one of my brokest moments right there. Damn. But it had something. I was like this. As long as I get there, Fuck it. I'm good. Another broke moment, this dude, Todd Lynn, R.I.P. Rest in peace, Todd Lynn. Todd Lynn. Todd Lynn got this girl that he was dating at the time. She sold him. She gave him this boot, this uh, fucking hoopty Saturn. Right, it was I don't know. It was like a, like a 1989 Saturn. Todd didn't want it because in New York you got more chance of getting tickets than driving a car. So he sold that shit to me for three hundred dollars. This shit was so bootleg. It had flip lights that flip up. Right. Right. One of the lights was broke, <laughs> so it looked like Forrest Whitaker eye. Right. <laughs> And when I used to drive down the highway, it looked like the helicopters was following me, right? Because all you see is this light going in the trees. But the day I bought that car, I bought it for him for $3. I had a gig in, in Long Island for 500 So I made a $200 profit off that hoopty car. That was one of them. And in New York, you don't have to have a fly car. Right. You can just have a car in the wintertime. And I had four-wheel drive bitches. I mean, young ladies, queens. Sorry yeah. about that. Nice, respectable. <laughs> sorry about that. They was like, oh, shit, we ain't got to go to the train. I was living in that car. I had, I had AM, FM radio. I had heat and I had a hatchback in the back. And in the summertime, I would blast the radio and have my shit. And I was picking chicks up from the train station. How long and I was did winning. you keep that shit? I kept it for like a year. This shit was so Nigga, bootleg. If you buy a car for $300 and you have it for a year, you fucking won. But this shit was so bad, I lost the key in it. So we had to, um, we had to, to jimmy it. With the screwdriver? With the screwdriver. But Get the funny the thing is, like, I was living in Brownsville. Everybody knew that it was rigged, right? So niggas used to just take my car and go to the store. Then he asked. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I look outside and say, oh, don't we, we took your car. We be right back. Bro. Right back, nigga. So disrespectful. But those, to be quite honest, there's more success you get. You remember those stories of when you was people, you, you appreciate those stories more than the successful when you get successful. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like, those, those are stories that, that drive you and, 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 and put, put things in perspective and know what you're doing it for. Damn, man. Man, I really appreciate you coming through and kicking it with us. Appreciate man. having me, son. And just laying that game on us. We got, we got any um, we got. Hold up, before we do that, we got any questions from anybody in the room? What was your favorite Chappelle sketch that never aired? I, I don't. Hmm. I don't really have a particular particular sketch that never aired. Like I wish that some of uh, the stuff that we did that didn't make it because of um, standards and practices. Made on because as as much stuff as uh that made it to air like the stuff that they cut out, like that shit. How did you end up on the wire? The wire. <clears throat> yeah, I wasn't gonna be able to answer that question. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I smoked too much weed. I forgot. Like which one? I don't remember none of that shit. <laughs> none of them. <laughs> nice transition. How was it the wire? <laughs> I saw you like. Nah. But the way I. <laughs> the way I got on the wire, I was on a show called The Corner. Yeah, that, I corner, remember that one. The Corner was a six-part um, a miniseries, and The Wire was a, a spinoff of um, of The Corner. In fact, when I when I auditioned for The Corner, I didn't even think that I was supposed to be on that show because the character I auditioned for it was a uh, his name was Bread, and he was a dope fiend. Right. Like on you know when you get your um, when you're size, you don't necessarily get the whole script. Just get a part of it. I didn't Black know male, thirties, yeah, drug you, fiend. You That's like all this. they give you. And then you try to look thirty. You're like, yeah, I look thirty. <laughs> but I didn't know the dude was a heroin addict. So I, when I auditioned, I didn't, I didn't go into the um, stereotypical characteristics of a dope fiend. I act like it was just a guy on the street. So when I got the role, um, and when I was in the audition, I didn't think I was doing well. Jackie Brown Carmen, she was like a big uh, uh, casting director back then. I'm in the audition, I'm fucking up. And I was like, I don't know, I'm a little nervous. She was like, Donnell, just relax. God is in the room, he's gonna help you. And then I, you know, I made peace with that and I, I calmed myself down and I did it. So when I got on the set, I asked David Simon who wrote it, I was like, how did I get this role? I said, I thought I sucked in the audition. He said, we like the fact that you didn't feed into the stereotype of a heroin addict. You played it as just a regular dude. And that's what got it. At the time, Tasha Smith, I didn't know. That was yeah. the biggest thing I ever. Tasha Smith was like an acting coach, if you want to say. She helped me out with that. And then David Simon, he's one of those uh, 
producers and creators that he likes to work with the same people. So because of what I did on the corner, he gave me an opportunity to be on the wire. I was on the first season of the wire, and then I was on the second season of the wire. My character got lost after the first season came back, the last season. Right. And I was excited about being on the wire again, but I know like on HBO, anytime it's the last season, anything, the writers get vindictive and they write crazy stuff. Like the last season of Oz, it was guys that was getting raped on Oz that weren't even on Oz. That's crazy. They was like, yo, I'm on Nickelodeon, nigga. I'm just trying to go to the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> so, when you getting raped next. Yeah, what yeah. The what the fuck, man? <laughs> you like, go take the other bathroom. But that was, um to be able to say, I was on two of like the greatest television shows in like the last 20 years of Wire and Chappelle. If anything else, if nothing else happened in my career, you know, that'll go down as some fly shit. Cause not too many people can say they did that. Hell yeah, that's fly yes, shit. Sir. Maybe it's you. Maybe all the shit you do is fucking historic. Never take, never, I, I think the, the best thing, the best thing you should do in this business, always stay humble. Stay humble. And always realize it's not just you, it's people that support you, it's the man above, and just stay focused, have work ethics, and then, a little talent, because work ethic is going to take you a lot further than your talent will. Work your nuts off. Man, on the 85 South Show, we have a very, I guess you could say eclectic audience. Eclectic, that's a new word. Niggas love when they get a new word. <laughs> we cover you get it. a new word, you use that for anything. Man. Let, yeah. me get, let me get a five chicken wings with an eclectic group of ketchup. <laughs> exactly. So that's what we is. So 85 South Show, this podcast is for the people, man. Yes, sir. This podcast right here is for all the motherfucking truck drivers who want to quit their job, right. but they can't because they already advanced their next two checks. Man. Right, you can't do that. This podcast right here, it's for all the strippers who can't dance. That's horrible. But most strippers can't dance. All you got to do is be able to get that ass to pop. That's not dancing. Exactly. Yes. This podcast is for all the Asian people who work in black communities and don't like black people. Your other motherfucker son of a bitch, shut the fuck a mouse. That's what it's for. Goddamn, you pay a four and a nine nine. This podcast. Shut the mouse. <laughs> Shut the mouth. Goddamn OJ Simpson nigga, fuck a mouth, shut the mouth. That's who this podcast is for. Why you every day come inside store in the no buy, son of a bitch, shut the mouth. <laughs> it's for you, Mr. Kim. <laughs> no disrespect. This podcast is for all the lesbians who don't eat pussy. Slick of the lips. <laughs> you can't be a lesbian and don't eat pussy. Yes, you can. What are those called, son? Studs. Okay. Oh, those are strap on you. I heard they be in the clubs with their straps. They, you know that those, they do, they you wear them all day. You know you gangster day. when you in this club with your strap. It's about that light plastic is in the building. You ever smell some lesbian pussy? Nah, I Smell like a new car. God damn. Hell yeah. What do old Cadillac lesbian pussy smell like? Old lesbian. Black ice. <laughs> <laughs> old lesbian right. pussy smell like cognac. No disrespect to the lesbians out there. Look no, we never disrespect the lesbians on this show. We ever. Are. We love the same things, that for JJ. That for JJ. This podcast is for niggas who sleep with do-rags on and don't even have no waves. You talking about me, son? No, I'm just saying. Just, I do that just that's so why I can we make this podcast. my gangster up. I try to put that on Instagram. It's like, nigga, if you don't take that shit off. So when you wear your do-rag, do you leave the flap out or do you tuck the flap? I flap that shit back, Flap son. that shit when back you a like a boss. On, your eye just, for some reason, when your eyes get lower when you put a do-rag, you just do like this for no reason. Just be mean mugging, <laughs> motherfucker. I'm not doing This podcast is for everybody who work out three days a week but still got a regular-ass body. Disrespectful-ass motherfuckers. This podcast right here is for niggas who live with their mama and get an attitude every time she asks you to pay a bill or something. And then you be telling all your friends, nah, I just bought this house for her. Exactly. <laughs> no, you did, nigga. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be at my mother's house. I bought it for her, you know, get off her feet. You a lying motherfucker. Go get your own shit. This podcast right here is for people who have a job, but they'll never know how the fuck they going to get home. Nigga, that bus is no good, son. I'm talking about the motherfuckers who live where ain't no bus. They just have to do find a ride. That's fucked up. Hitchhiking in Atlanta is horrible, son. Exactly. It's fucked up. But that's what we that's what we do this podcast for. And People this just is like for that. the motherfucker skins that is moisturely challenged. There's a campaign out here. Fuck the water in Flint. I'm trying to get lotion in Flint because ash is a terrible thing to lose. This ash podcast. everything around me. Cream, get the lotion. $1.99, y'all. <laughs> Speaking of Flint, this podcast is for all the bad bitches in Flint who moved to Detroit. 
Don't trust them because them bitches ain't took showers in a year, son. That's fucked up. I wasn't going to say it, but since Cut you that, said son. it. Okay, let it go. <laughs> I don't know if I want no flip pussy, son. I don't know if I can do this, son. You got I don't know. Do me a favor. Fuck that. I just lost some fans. No disrespect. That shit crazy, man. I mean, you ain't never going to lose no fans. I appreciate you coming through. You're a real-ass nigga. You're you, always bro. welcome to come through the 85 South show anytime you in the city. Any promo you want to drop, what, what should we be looking out for? What's your social media? Donnell Rollins. I would say Google me, but there's some weird shit to pop up now. <laughs> What Donnell, come up when you Google Donnell Rollins? TMZ be fucking with yo, you, man. Yo, you know how long it took me to get that DUI off my TMZ? My search engine, you know what I'm saying? Like two years ago, right. caught a DUI, right? It took me two years for when you put my name up there, it goes to my Wikipedia, my website. Soon as that motherfucking Philly shit went happen, soon as you put my name in, this shit happens. But at the end of the day, I will not be disrespected if you try Ever. to assault me and you try to fucking come at me i'm coming back at you i don't want to fight niggas too old to fight i what got kind of liquor you be drinking man i wasn't driving nigga that's I'm all i'm saying, saying what son. you be drinking i man. wasn't it's driving. brown and white i know i wasn't driving <laughs> son i'm <laughs> not fighting to mr turn on them niggas yo idiot <laughs> <laughs> you must be trying to get this nigga <laughs> some pussy then i wasn't i know i wasn't driving the bitch that's jumped in my lap I pushed the bitch off. That's all I know, Mr. Turner. Fuck it, take me to jail then. Yo, God damn you know, it. You know you're getting too old to fight when you throw a right and you fuck your left shoulder up, son. <laughs> but I will not be disrespected. Shout out to people that bared with me through all that. Shout out all to TMZ. TMZ was fair to me. TMZ called me the night before. I didn't even remember what happened. She said, we got to take you fighting. I'm like, fight who, nigga? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fight news. Fight news. Now, TMZ is fair to me. I'm fair to my people, you know. But I just want to say, really, thank you for having me on this podcast. You know, anytime, they, you know, you caught me a couple times. They didn't think I was going to be here. But my word, they didn't think I was be here. Like, nah, you didn't motherfucking blame other people. It ain't me to keep asking. Man. It's the other thing. <laughs> it was I was that nigga right I know. There, he man. like this. They on my back, son. I was like, whatever, man. Yeah, because we was like, nigga, did you call? Hang up right now. Call that nigga right now. Yeah. No, this nigga told me to drop a pin. Nigga, give me your location Yo, right now. Give me your ways location right now. What's your ETA? But, you know, I'm a man of my word. I always support people that's doing this shit. And everything that I followed you guys doing, it's all professional. It's some good shit. Y'all employ some good motherfuckers and y'all the future. Yeah, so I appreciate that. Man, thank you. Thank you very much. Word up, sir. This is the 85 South Show. I'm your man, Carlos Miller. This my man, Ashford Lawrence. Ashford Lawrence. A.K.A. Donnell Rollins. We in here, 85 South Show. We out. First, I'm my brother. Let me... 85. 85. 85. 85.